Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. Learn more about the program and our church when you visit walkintruth.com. Now here's part three of Pastor Michael's teaching in Philippians 1, 27 through 30, called Making Sense of Suffering. So I will tell you, okay, I'm, I'm a sports guy. So when my team is playing for about those two hours, people, they establish a perimeter around Pastor Michael. <laughs> it's a safe distance because when my team's playing, I coach the, you know, through the television and it's intense and I pace sometimes. And one time Shane got a video of me, my, my son Shane, and I was being intense during a Pittsburgh Steelers game. And I was talking to the TV. And I could say, I said something like this, sitting in my lazy boy, you gotta be kidding me. And he said, he's filming me. Pastor, there's Pastor Michael Lance right there. Pastor Michael Lance. <laughs> Why do I bring it up? There's a point. So the coach of UCLA is Mick Cronin. He's this little fiery guy. And after the first game, uh, UCLA played uh, a team from Akron. And it was a tough game, and they barely squeaked it out. And they do these post-game interviews, and they were talking to the coach, and the coach said these words. He goes, man, it wasn't our best shooting performance, something like this. But he said, we just gutted it out together. And I was like, yeah. (laughs) Just gutted it out. I love stuff like that. And do you know that that is essentially what Paul is saying to the Philippian church? I want you like the gladiators in arena to gather together against the opponent and gut it out. Now, I don't think Paul's talking about, you know, digging deep and finding your best stuff in your humanity. No, the Holy Spirit's within all of this. But the idea is that you link arms with other believers and you stand fast. Yesterday, we did a men's conference called Steadfast. This was the main section that I preached on for yesterday. Psalm 112, verses 7 and 8. The NIV reads, He, the steadfast blessed man, will have no fear of bad news. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. His heart is secure. He will have no fear. In the end, he will look in triumph on his foes. His heart is upheld, one version says, because he trusts in the Lord. That's the steadfast man. And we were trying to get at a definition of steadfastness yesterday. And here's what I suggested to the the men at the conference. Steadfastness, simply put, is to be immovable. Paul puts it this way, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. He talks about the resurrection and the return of Christ. And he says, brethren, be steadfast, immovable always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that not one thing that you do for the Lord is ever in vain. You know what steadfastness is? It's to be immovable. I ain't going anywhere. I know in whom I have believed. It's gutting it out. 
And if you don't have it one day, and look, we all go up and down as believers. It's other believers saying, I got you today. I will hold up your heart. It's the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit with the triune God. It's the power of Christ, but it's the power of true fellowship. How in the world could that be accomplished through digital means? I believe in digital ministry. We have a radio ministry that's in a lot of parts of the country right now. We live stream this church service. But I will tell you this. If you can get into a church, you better be in fellowship. Because fellowship is more than just eating potlucks together. It's standing arm in arm with other believers and saying, we're not moving. We're going to be immovable. We're going to be steadfast. This is actually, this last couple of years, I couldn't have imagined as a pastor I would be faced with these kinds of things in Southern California. But here we are. and We had to make some tough decisions as a leadership of what we were going to do. It was no longer reading stories about this stuff. It was actually, now what are you going to do when you're called to do it? Is it, is it just about Bible studies that you go to? Or do you want to actually live a life where you will say, I'm not moving? Don McClure tells the story Calvary Chapel pastor, he said uh, his favorite uh, life verse was Acts 20, 24 in the New King James Version. And Paul is being told by the Holy Spirit that he's going to go to Jerusalem, that chains and, you know, beatings await him. And he says in the New King James Version, but none of these things move me. And basically says, I'm ready to go to Jerusalem and die for Jesus Christ. And so Don says he would write notes to people, Acts 20, 24, none of these things move me. And then he said he went through a personal crisis. And I don't remember where he was, but he said he was walking on the grounds of this property. And I think they had either lost a family member or someone was gravely ill. And he was, you know, doing what we all do. Lord, why? I don't understand. Would you please work? And what's going on? And the Lord spoke to his heart with these words. Is this going to move you? And Don was like, that's not fair. You can't use my verse on me. (laughs) You got all these verses in the Bible and you got to use my verse on me. Because the, the verse, the life verses that we have, we could write them on cards all day long, but do you believe it for you? It's like the guy that shows up at the cleaners and says 24 hour cleaners and he put, he yanking on the door and the lights are out and the business is closed. It's like seven o'clock at night. So he comes back the next day. They're open and he says, hey, what's the deal? You guys, it says 24 hour cleaners, but you were closed yesterday. And they said, oh, that's just the name of the business. And we're not open 24 hours a day. (laughs) It's just the name. Here's the deal. God is going to ask you to live the verses that you believe. And they're going to cause you and me to look up. But they're also going to cause me to look at my side and see if I got other warriors who are fighting with me. This is the faith of the gospel, brethren. These are the three things that branch off the one thing. Make sure you have them. Standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And of course, the faith of the gospel there is simply the historic truth of who Jesus is and how we get saved. There'll be no uh, backing off from that. He continues, 28, in no way alarmed by your opponents, 
which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. This is what they call a double negative in Greek. You could say it this way, no, not in anything should you ever be alarmed. And the word alarmed, only used here in the New Testament, is pictured in a spooked horse. The idea of alarm here would be, the scholars say the original word is uh, an ancient battle scene where two armies are going to collide and they're on horses. And a horse is carrying a warrior and it gets spooked and it turns around and goes the other way. Or you've all seen it happen where, and perhaps it's happened to you if you ride horses, where a horse gets spooked and it throws you off. It gets afraid of something and it turns around. And Paul is basically saying, don't you be spooked by anything that your opponents would ever throw at you. You be immovable. Don't back down. I couldn't help but think of the immortal words by Tom Petty. He was an incredible scholar. <laughs> just, just kidding. But he said, no, I won't back down. You can stand me up at the gates of hell, but I won't back down. And of course, you know, Tom Petty also talked about waiting, which is a spiritual principle. He said, in the waiting is the hardest part. (laughs) Sorry. So, and, you know, somebody after first service said, you know, instead of Tom Petty, you could quote an ancient hymn. (laughs) And having been confronted by a more spiritual person than I, (laughs) I thought I'd quote it for you. It's how firm a foundation, and here's what it says. (laughs) When through fiery trials the pathway shall lie, my grace all-sufficient shall be thy supply. The flame shall not harm thee, I only design, thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. The soul that on Jesus doth lean for repose, I will not, I will not desert to his foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. Praise the Lord. And so Paul says, don't you be alarmed for a second. Don't you be spooked. In fact, this kind of situation brings about an omen. Biblical scholars would tell you the word for sign here is actually an omen. What is that? It's an evidence. It's a proof of what? Of two things. One, when you stand tall and you don't back down, with opponents for the gospel, it becomes an omen that you truly belong to Christ and you you have salvation. And it's an omen of their destruction. Isn't that interesting? When Christians stand tall in the midst of suffering, when they don't back down from the truths of the gospel, unbelievers go, wow, apparently there is really a God. And this person really believes there's a God. And since they're a believer and I'm dishing out punishment to them, I'm not on the side of God. Therefore, it looks like they're a true believer and I'm going to be destroyed. Interesting. It becomes an omen. When Jesus was dying on the cross, there were miracles around the cross of Jesus Christ. Darkness, a sign of judgment. The earthquake, Jesus cried from the cross. Some people were convinced there. 
and said, surely this is the Son of God. And, and people believed. But other people who were killing him were not. And I wonder how they took the signs around the cross. Probably as an omen of their destruction. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Thanks for tuning in to Walk in Truth today. Did you know there's more where that came from? Download the Living Truth app to listen to more of Pastor Michael's teachings whenever you want. You can even watch videos. And if you're local to Southern California, you can get updates on church events, new studies, and more. Download the free Living Truth app today. Producer Rob Newton here, and on behalf of Pastor Michael and the Walk in Truth team, thank you so much to our financial and prayer partners. Whether you have given a one-time donation or you have become a monthly partner, you have contributed to our mission to reach out with God's truth to all people and helping listeners like you apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. You've heard that before, right? Well, we mean it. Thanks to our financial partners, we have added three new radio stations. Our prayer is to bless our new listeners the way we have hopefully been a blessing to you. If you're a longtime listener, would you please consider becoming a $5 a month partner? That may not seem like much, but every little bit makes it possible for us to continue our broadcasts, podcasts, and free apologetic events. Please become a partner giving at least $5 a month. Visit walkintruth.com to donate or call 844-48-TRUTH. That's walkintruth.com or call 844-48-TRUTH. We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walkin' Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. And said, surely this is the Son of God. And, and people believed. But other people who were killing him were not. And I wonder how they took the signs around the cross. Probably as an omen of their destruction. And this is what Paul is basically saying. He's saying, look, this is a confirming sign. And this is what I went through when I was in Philippi. I was walking through your town and Lydia got saved and then there was a servant girl who was demon-possessed. You remember the story? Acts chapter 16. And she was following us around and she said, these men are servants of the Most High God come to tell you the way of salvation. But she wouldn't stop. These men are servants of the Most High God come to tell you the way of salvation. These men are... And Paul says, finally, Luke records it, that Paul was annoyed. Praise the Lord. Apparently being annoyed is biblical. <laughs> he was annoyed. And, and, and the Bible says he said to the spirit, come out of her. <laughs> right? And whatever, she flopped around. And she was set free from a demonic spirit. But that demonic spirit was giving her insights. And she was making a lot of money for her masters. And when her masters saw that she was delivered from the, the uh, spirit, they were upset. They, they said something like this. Our poor little demon-possessed girl. She was making us so much money. Hand over fist. Now Paul delivered her. Terrible guy that he is. And then they went to the authorities. These Jews are here practicing customs that we don't believe and we don't practice. And basically, Paul got beaten with rods and put in the stocks, remember? And if you've never heard this before, what they would do is they would beat you, open up your back, so you'd be bleeding. They'd put you in a jail with one-star accommodations, half-star accommodations, probably rats on the floor. You'd get no food unless someone shows up to feed you. And when you put the stocks, they spread your legs out as far as, as they possibly can, then they lock you into place. And Paul, and I think it was either Silas or Barnabas in this scene, 
begin to sing, you remember? Hymns at midnight. Can you imagine? Would you be sitting there? Jesus loves me. This I know. What would you do? Well, they started singing, and the prisoners were listening, and the prison house shook, and the bonds came off, and a quake, quaking Philippian jailer fell down at their feet and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? See, he saw true evidence of their salvation and his destruction. He was the one responsible for holding them in the cell, an opponent of Christianity. Paul had done nothing wrong but preach the gospel and deliver a girl. And so that's what may happen sometimes. Your opponent may say, well, I want what you have. Because if you can stand tall in this time of suffering, then maybe I need Jesus. It's from this spring that convicting power flows, says Moitier, to challenge the world. And a genuine conviction too. Not a passing impression, but a real dawning of eternal truths, a clear omen of destruction. The truth that will not be faced is the eternal destruction of God. It was the first ploy of the tempter to deny a God of judgment. Genesis 3, 4, you will not surely die. And human eyes remain sealed to this conviction until they are opened by a true spiritual conviction. It arises here from seeing the church standing for Christ, for eternal things, enduring worldly loss and dispute for the greater riches found in the spirit and throughout all standing united. Here's the idea. When Paul is Saul before he becomes Paul, stands there and Stephen's face is shining like an angel. Acts 6.15. And he addresses the council. And the light of God is on Stephen's face. Most scholars of the New Testament will tell you, they believe that the seeds of, of Saul's faith, who becomes Paul, who is our author here, are formed in the killing of Stephen as he stands in front of the council and says, I see heaven open and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. That witness on display spelled that Stephen was a true believer, his salvation and their destruction. And it was Saul who finally, of course, uh, bowed his knee to Jesus on the road to Damascus. And so it may not be that dramatic for us, but here's the point. When we live out our faith, through the ups and downs that inevitably come in this life. We are going to face these questions, brethren. We already have, and we're going to face them some more. If our settled conviction is that we believe in not only the power of Christ's resurrection, but even in the deep fellowship of his suffering, the Lord will walk us through every season of life and bring us safely home into his heavenly kingdom. I'm going to show you one parallel verse. We'll, go, we'll come back to Philippians and we're done. First Peter is where I want you to turn. It's the end of the New Testament. Here's what happens. Uh, this is one layer of this teaching that I want you to see. First Peter 4. Peter's writing to a suffering church and he writes these words. First Peter 4, 12. Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you. First Peter 4, 12 which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree, 1 Peter 4.13, that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed. 
because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Something happens, something supernatural happens, an extra dimension of spirit power when we stand for Christ in the face of suffering. God does something very unique there. People get a view into the kingdom of God that maybe they would never see any other way than when a Christian goes through suffering and leans into God. I will tell you, I'm the first one back to Philippians and we'll finish that praise, Lord, lift my suffering. I don't want to suffer. Suffering's not fun. And I will tell you, I heard a pastor one time say I was in a kind of a difficult season myself and I heard him say, uh, suffering doesn't last forever. And God often allows seasons of suffering and then he lifts it. So sometimes we are going through something we, and we might say to ourselves, this is never going to end. Am I ever going to get past this? And seasons of suffering do end. But ultimately, we know what God's going to do, right? He's going to bring us into his presence and wipe away every tear from our eyes. And so Paul says, you are experiencing now, final verse, the same conflict, the same idea, agony, which you saw in me, in your town, and now here to be in me as I am writing you from prison. This is the same thing that Jesus went through, I'm going through. Don't be surprised by it. Stand together. Lean into the power of God. Don't be afraid. You've been listening to Making Sense of Suffering, Part 3 on Walk in Truth. And that was Pastor Michael's teaching in Philippians 1, 27 through 30. And if you missed any part of today's program, you can listen to Walk in Truth on our free Living Truth app or wherever you get your podcasts. Walk in Truth is on the Apple Podcast, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Player FM, and many more. So subscribe for free to hear Pastor Michael's teaching in more books of the Bible. Now here's Pastor Michael with a final word. Recently, uh, we did a 633 apologetics event. You hear us talk about this quite a bit. You might ask, what is it? Well, we do special Sunday evening services to deal with topics relevant to the culture or the church culture or both. And this last Sunday, we did the topic of the Enneagram. You say, what is the Enneagram? Well, the Enneagram has kind of morphed into something like a personality test, but it's much deeper and goes way uh, back before the last couple of decades. And in fact, the Enneagram, as we explored it on this Sunday evening and had a subtitle, The Numbers Just Don't Add Up, we saw that it really comes from the occult. It comes from the new age. It comes from those dabbling in that which is forbidden for believers, forbidden for Israel, forbidden in the Old and New Testament. And so as we talked about scriptures like guarding the flock and testing everything and making sure that we expose false doctrine that can hurt the church and even false teachers who sneak into the church like Jude verses three and four. We explored the Enneagram and looking at its origins, looking at its, uh, the fact that it just doesn't add up and, and it's, uh, it's just really not something that believers need to be messing with at all. And so uh, in this series of minisodes, you're going to be able to 
understand a little bit more about the Enneagram. And if you haven't come across it, you're probably bound to come across it because I think that last count, 27 books have come out from so-called Christian publishers on the Enneagram. And it's really not something that Christians should be messing with. In fact, Marsha Montenegro, an ex-astrologer um, who's now a wonderful apologist for the Christian faith, called it a Trojan horse in the into the church and called it, in her opinion, the most dangerous thing that the New Age has ever uh, you know, permeated the church with. So this is something we've got to be uh, mindful of, we have to understand, we have to be on the lookout. And if we have friends that have embraced it, we need to speak to them or reason with them with gentleness and respect. And that's something we tried to emphasize in First Peter 3.15. We do we we gently correct, but we correct nonetheless. We speak the truth in love. So that is exploring the Enneagram. The numbers just don't add up. It's going to be something that you want to get under your belt. These mini-sodes will help you with that, help you be further equipped, which is the goal of Walk in Truth. Glad you're listening. And we want you to go check out the podcasts for Walk in Truth to see what else is on there. More content, more books of the Bible, more uh, a step closer, special topics being addressed, all there. When you search for Walk in Truth uh, on your favorite podcast app and make sure you follow us or subscribe today. Hey, tell a friend, keep us in prayer. We love you. We'll see you right here tomorrow. And remember, Walk in Truth is a listener-supported ministry. Your financial partnership helps us broadcast on this station, provide the podcast for free, and it helps us do our free apologetic events too. Please consider becoming a monthly partner of at least $5 a month. You can donate at walkintruth.com. And join us tomorrow for Pastor Michael Lance's teaching in Philippians chapter 2, 1 through 4, called One. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Our goal is to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people. Oh,